Mark chapter 10. <clears throat> Be reading out of the English Standard Version, beginning at verse 17. When you got it, let me know something. All right. It reads, verse 17, and as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle and for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to them, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands, for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses, and brothers, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Jesus, we pray that you will cover your word and, and, and move with your word today. Pray that you will help me to teach what this passage means to the best of my ability, the best of my understanding, that even now you would give me insight necessary to be able to shepherd and feed your sheep this morning. Edify your church with the word, Father. I pray that you will remove all hindrances and distractions that may keep us from receiving what it is you want to say to us. Help us to apply it through your Holy Spirit that you would tell us the areas in our life where we could apply the message and to correct it and to repent when necessary. Encourage us, give us insight, give us direction. We'll be mindful to give your name all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. One of the most... Uh, philosophical, complex statements I ever heard in my life, out of everything I've ever read, every book I've ever read, every lecture I've ever heard, sat up under, every class I've ever took, the most profound, deep, complex, complicated, deep, rich, robust <laughs> statement I've ever heard in my life came out of the mouth of a man named Christopher Wallace. You know, I didn't think I was going there, did you? Christopher Wallace, also known as B.I.G. He had a song in which the title of that song was called Mo Money, Mo Problem. I believe that title of that song can serve as like an umbrella for much of what we've seen in the world in pop culture over the last couple years. It's more money, more problems. What am I saying? Anybody used to watch Full House? 
grow up, growing up, used to watch Full House. Y'all remember, um, man, I can't remember her name in the show, but she was always messing with Jesse. I'm Becky. Yeah, that was her name. Real name was Lori Lufflin, I believe. She found herself uh, in controversy, I think it was like last year, because she was, uh, her and her husband, who are both filthy rich, were paying uh, $500,000 worth of bribes to a university to assure that their daughter could go to this school. And it's like $500,000, like out of all the things you could do with that wealth, you chose to run this scam. You know, as, as if so, it's just, just go Google it later. It's a whole long story behind it, but it's just a scandal behind it. And then later, uh, earlier this year, we've, you may have heard about Brett Favre, the very famous uh, quarterback who, again, was found, uh, at least it looks like he's being found guilty of, of running some scam to rip off people who are less fortunate, like, like really just, just robbing from the poor and, and charities and things of that sort. And these are people who are rich, and I can just go down the line. There's plenty of examples. And as I see this stuff on TV, I just start asking myself, like, wow, we always think that when you have money, it'll stop doing, stop you from doing shady stuff to get more of it. Like the more, if you, because we always say, like, man, if I only had this, then I wouldn't have to do that, right? But what wealthy people are showing us <laughs> is that it's not the money. That's necessarily the issue is something going on in here that causes us to misuse the money that God created to be a good thing. So it's just more money, more problems. And you see it within the celebrity culture and we see it within our day to day lives. Now, what's interesting is that when I read the Bible. Let's just narrow this down to the New Testament, 27 books in the New Testament, right? You don't find any exhortations or encouragements or advice uh, or a push for believers to go out and acquire wealth. You don't find it. Now, I probably should have said this before the sermon started. This is going to be one of them messages. <laughs> Y'all know I'm like on a little cycle. I had like three weeks where it'd be cool, and then I'll have that one, that one whooping sermon. This is going to be one of them whooping ones. But I've just been studying this this week, and I'm like, man, ain't that crazy that when I walk through the New Testament, you don't really find this push to go out and acquire wealth, right? But it's not that the Bible doesn't talk about wealth. It's just that when it talks about it, 99.9% of the time, it's in the negative context. James has negative things to say about it. Paul in 1 Timothy 6 has negative things to say about it. Jesus in all four Gospels have negative things to say about it. And then I'm looking at Christianity and I'm looking at the celebrity culture of Christianity and celebrity preacher culture and, and, and I'm looking at how, how pastors dress and how they present themselves and how they live and the lifestyle that they have. And, and, then, and then they tell the congregation that this is God's will for everybody and if you have enough faith, this is how things should look and God doesn't want this for you. He wants you to live this lavish life. And I'm saying, wow, if that's true, Peter, James, John, Mark, Luke, Jude, they had 27 chapters, um, books, in the New Testament to tell me that. But they didn't tell me that. Instead, they keep giving me these warnings to be careful about wealth. So we have two extremes. We can say wealth is the will of God for every Christian. Or we can say on this side that wealth is inherently evil and that we should all live in poverty. Okay, both of those are false. We just got to find some type of balance in the middle. And it all revolves around letting the sovereign God of heaven choose which life is that we're going to have. Letting him choose for us which type of financial situation we're going to find ourselves in and not to force anything outside of his will. This whole sermon I'm about to preach today can be summed up in this phrase. Jesus is Lord. If you can catch that little phrase right there, Jesus is Lord, you'll be able to receive the things I'm about to say through this passage. Because I need to figure out why the Bible doesn't say a whole lot of positive things about wealth. And I'll say this, a lot of people will go, and I hear this all the time with very eloquent, uh, very smart preachers. They like to pull this one. But Abraham was rich, and Solomon was rich, 
And David was rich, so that means. And they use these narratives that are descriptive, that are just telling stories. And they apply it as if that applies to every believer today. But even when you walk through the book of Proverbs, which is Old Testament, you find these warnings about the dangers of wealth. So I want I want us to talk about that today because I, I see a trend in the Christian world, especially in my, in my generation. I'm 37 years old. My generation and the generation up under us, younger than us, there seems to be this Christian infatuation with wealth and entrepreneurship and, 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 and you know, being self-made and, and this, and, and not inherently bad, but I think we need to keep these things in the proper context. Amen? In Mark 10, verse 17, Jesus has been talking about divorce, how that's not God's will. He's been talking about not causing children to stumble. That keeps them from the kingdom of God. He starts talking about us plucking out our eyes because if we don't, that could hinder us from inheriting the kingdom of God. Now he wants to throw another one in there. He wants to teach us that wealth can keep us from inheriting the kingdom of God. Verse 17, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him, ran up to him and knelt down before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do to obtain eternal life? Jesus is on his journey. A man runs up. He does two things. He kneels. Well, actually, three things. He kneels. He calls Jesus good teacher. Then he asks a question. What must I do to inherit the kingdom? Right? Number one, he kneels down before him. Gets on his knees. What does that imply? You kneel down before somebody. Submission. You think there's somebody special. You're typically acknowledging that they have higher rank than you, right? So he bows down before this guy in reverential humility. So he acknowledges that Jesus is somebody special, right? Then he gives him a lofty term, a lofty title. He calls him not just teacher, but good teacher. So he acknowledges Jesus's position is not just a teacher, but a good teacher. What that word typically means is it speaks of moral excellence. So he, he knows that Jesus is different. He must have heard about him through other people, though this is probably his first time meeting him. He follows that up with a question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? If he's asking what he must do to inherit eternal life, that means he must not have eternal life. That means he must not be a disciple. That means he must be what? Lost. But he knelt down before Jesus in reverential humility, called him good teacher. Now he's asking, what do I do to be saved? This tells us that you can have reverence for God, have accurate terminology to describe him, and still be lost. He, he got down on his knees, acknowledging Jesus' lofty position. He calls him good teacher, then acknowledges that he's missing something. This shows us that we cannot trust in these external expressions, these religious expressions, as necessarily being fruit of salvation. When you look at our world today, our culture, there's a lot of sinners who do a lot of reverential things towards God. They, they pay regular tithes and offerings. I know some people like this. They, they, they won't put a Bible on the floor. <laughs> you feel me? Like they got, they're going to pray over their food. They're going to do all of this, all the while, while being sinners who are lost. I was playing video games last week. This is about a month ago, actually, a few weeks ago. And there was this, uh, you have a, a headset I wear. And you could hear, you know, it's like a chat. And the people in the chat, there was a guy and there was a, a lady. You could tell they knew each other. And they were just going crazy about Christianity. I mean, they were blaspheming and just cussing out God and cussing out Christians and 
they don't know who I am. And I'm just hearing this stuff. So I just sat back and listened for like five minutes. I just let them talk about their experience and how much they hate church and hate God and hate the Bible and hate everything. Then I finally unmuted myself and was like, hey, man, y'all been going in. <laughs> I'm like, y'all been going in for on your boy for about 15 minutes. And I should start beginning to talk to them how I'm a Christian and what I believe and how God has a plan for their life and he loves them. I begin to apologize for some of the things they experienced in church that pushed them away from God. And they really softened up and began to talk to me more, right? So, But I'm bringing this up to say during that call, you know, they started off all this blaspheming and cussing. But then after I said what I said, every time they had cussed, they'd be like, oops, oops, sorry, didn't mean to say that. <laughs> because even sinners have a reverential acknowledgement of who God is, most of them. That don't mean you save. We can do a lot of save things and be lost. That's key to this passage because Jesus wants to point to the heart when it comes to this money thing to show where we really stand. He kneels down. He calls him good teacher. He asks him a question, what must I do to, inter- to inherit eternal life? If he's saying, what must I do? That means that this man's theology says that eternal life is merited by works. Not who must I believe. This seems to be a what good work can I do to earn my way in. Now, Jesus' response is about to cause two major theological problems for Orthodox Christians that we got to work through. Verse 18. And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Remember reading this years ago as Jehovah's Witnesses and other anti-Trinitarian groups would use this to deny Jesus' deity. The man calls Jesus good. Jesus' response is, why you call me that? No one is good except who? Now, on the surface, it looked like Jesus is saying what? I'm not God. Nobody's good but God alone. But if you just read it carefully, you notice that Jesus did not respond with a statement. He responded with a question. Whenever Jesus asks you a question in the Gospels, your ears need to be like this because he's about to drop a, 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 a major point, but he's going to come through the back door. Let me tell you something about Christ and how we taught. He had a specific teaching style where he wasn't always direct. Sometimes he wants to get people to see what he sees, so he got to go around the back door so that we can see it, so that he can get the sword out, (laughs) cut us up a little bit, and show us where we stand. He doesn't say, don't call me good. Now, if he says that, we got a problem. He says, why did you say that? Because no one is good but God. So, young man, if you're calling me good, you're actually calling me God. Are you sure that's what you mean? Because I'm about to ask you to do something. And if you really believe I'm a good God, you need to obey it. So I'm asking you now, young man, do you believe that I'm God? Do you know what you just said about me? He's not denying his goodness. The same Jesus said in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. Different word in Greek, generally the same meaning. The Bible says that he's the lamb without spot nor blemish. No sin was found in his mouth. We know he wasn't sinful. He's good. He's not denying his goodness or his deity. He's trying to clarify what this man meant by calling him good. Because he knows what he's about to require out of him. So we fixed that theological problem, right? Is that convincing or do I got to keep that good? All right, let me know if it ain't good. I, I keep some like my, in my back pocket. I only pull them out when I need them. So I'm like, somebody question it. I got another one I could throw out there. But that don't get us out of hot water because Jesus keeps talking. And he, got, he answers his other question about what must I do to inherit eternal life. Verse 19, he says, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Now, what I thought Jesus would have said is, repent and believe in me. Repent and believe in the gospel. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. I thought Jesus would have responded to that because if somebody asked me, What must I do to inherit eternal life? I'm not going to tell them to keep a commandment. 
I'm going to say believe on Christ. But Jesus didn't take that approach. He said, you know the commandments. On the surface, looks like he's saying salvation can be earned by good works. You want to be saved, do this, do that, do this, do that, and you're good. Is that what Jesus means? Or is he going through the back door again? He quotes from the Ten Commandments, but he only gives you about six. Exodus chapter 20 says it's ten. So what I want us to do is I want us to look at the Ten Commandments on the screen. We're going to walk through all ten, and we're going to try to figure out what Jesus is doing here. You can find these listed in Exodus, the 20th chapter. Ten Commandments, all right? Commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Two, you shall not make for yourself an idol. Three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Five, honor your father and your mother. Six, you shall not murder. Seven, you shall not commit adultery. Eight, you shall not steal. Nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Ten, you shall not covet. We're going to stick with these Ten Commandments for a minute. The Ten Commandments, also known as the Decalogue, which means ten words, are divided in two different categories. You can practically split them in half. Four of those commandments are to be read a, a certain way. The other six have a different application. Go back to the previous slide for me. Look at the first four of those commandments. If you look at them carefully, all of them have to do with our relationship to God, what we call our vertical relationship. Don't have no gods before me. Don't make no idol to worship it. Don't take my name in vain. Remember the, the Sabbath day, which was the day of worship. Set it apart and worship God on that day. All these have to do with how we relate to Yahweh, right? But if you look at the last six, honor your father and your mother. Don't murder. Don't cheat in a sexual way. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't covet. Those are what we call horizontal. It deals with how we relate to our fellow man, our neighbor. So that means that half of the law is about how we relate directly to God. The second half is how we relate directly to who? Our neighbor. Those 10 can be summed up in two words. Let me get Matthew 22, Terrell. This is Jesus. Look at what he says. But when the Pharisees heard that he silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is what? Like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now get this. On these two depend all the law and the prophets. What is Jesus saying? He's saying the whole Old Testament, specifically the law, can be summarized in two words. Love God. Love your neighbor. Go back to those Ten Commandments, please. Those first four is the love your God portion. The last six is the what? Love your neighbor. Y'all with me? So you got the whole law broken up into these two categories. Now let's go back to Mark 10. Now that we understand, let's see what's going on here. Verse 19, he says, you know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, do not defraud, which is basically him saying don't covet, and honor your father and mother. Now, y'all tell me, are those commandments that Jesus just listed, is that represented in the first half of the Ten Commandments or the second? The love your neighbor portion, right? So when Jesus says you know the commandments, 
He deliberately didn't mention the first four because he's going through the back door. So he's like, I'm going to get you on the back end to show you how you feel about God. But first, let's talk about what you got confidence in. Y'all see it? So he brings up the commandments. Now, look at the man's response here. He says in verse 20, and he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. All these I have kept from my what? Now, last week I did a little teaching on what the Bible says about the youth. And it ain't got nothing positive to say before Christ. But in this man's mind, he's doing pretty good from his youth, right? What's more striking is Jesus' response. (laughs) Verse 21, Jesus looking at him loved him and said, you lack one thing. Now just stop. First he says, looking at him, says he felt love for him. Is, Is that how we engage with sinners or do we feel disgust? If you feel disgust, there's probably some self-righteousness going on there. So you probably done forgot what he done brought you from and what he's still bringing us through. The sin we just did last night, the thought we just had this morning, he's still working on. So if we got a, a, a disgust when we see sinners, we probably got some mess in here that we need God to clean up. But Jesus, being perfectly righteous, says he felt love for the lost man. Then he says, it's one thing you lack, but the thing that he lacked, isn't the commandments that he just listed. So that means that when the man said, I've been keeping these from my youth, Jesus didn't correct him. He didn't say, man, you ain't been keeping those. Jesus just moved on to a new subject. That implies that (laughs) this man was doing pretty good on that second portion of the law. Paul put it this way in Philippians. Paul says, before I knew Christ, he says, I was found blameless according to the law. He lived that life. He walked that walk for real. It doesn't mean they were perfect. It means that they had a pattern of keeping these commandments externally. So Jesus is like, okay. But there's one thing you lack. Now just stop. If the commandments were going to save him, Once he said he kept them commandments, Jesus' response would have been, well, you got eternal life. Back door. He don't say that. He says it's still one thing you lack. Okay, well, which is it, Jesus? You said if I keep the commandments. I said I kept the commandments. Now you're switching it up. Nope. He gets going through the back door. He says it's one thing you lack because there's a first half of the law. (laughs) Go. Sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Go, sell all that you have, because this man is rich. Then take some money and give it to the poor. At first glance, it looks like Jesus just gave him another work he got to go do to merit eternal life. But it's not that he's saying he's saved by doing a work. He's saying that work will reflect something that's going on in here. You're doing all right with the second half of the law, oh rich man. But the very first commandment says, don't have any other gods before me. To have a God before the one true God means that you obey that God before you obey him. You submit to that God before you submit to him. You yield to that God before you yield to him. You're devoted to that God more than you're devoted to him. Your loyalty is to that God. It's not to him. He wants this man to see, although you're doing pretty good on the second half, you've totally missed the greatest commandment, which is to do what? Love God. And when you love God, you don't put 
other gods before him. Remember how Jesus opened up his conversation? Why do you call me good? It's nobody good but God alone. So if you really think I'm God, why you got this money God in front of me? You see how Jesus got him to see his own heart? He didn't just throw it out there. He got to let this man see it the way he sees it. You're not loving God. And the reason you're not loving God is because you love something else more. Now, look at what he says in verse 22. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. He saw more value and temporal riches that you can't take with you then he did see value in inheriting eternal life and being a disciple of Jesus. Jesus says, if you give away the stuff, you'll have treasure in heaven. Keep that term in mind. If you give away everything, like I'm asking you, rich man, you will have what? Treasure in heaven. Now, when we read this, we like, seems a little strict. Like the man can't be wealthy and be a disciple of Jesus at the same time. Why is Jesus so tight with it when he's saying this man got to go and sell all his stuff and give away all his stuff? What's the big deal? Let me get Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Let's stop there. It says, don't store up treasures here on earth. Don't spend all your time trying to get all your treasures set up here on earth, your house, your your car, your earthly riches, your bank account. He said, don't spend all your time investing in that. Why? Because it can be destroyed by moth and rust, and thieves can steal it. You can leave out of here right now and go buy a Mercedes Benz and then park it in the wrong neighborhood and all that, the whole thing is gone. It's gone. So he says, be careful where you're building your treasures at. Next verse. Here's the alternative. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So he says, here's the alternative. Store up treasures where? Now, Jesus told the man, if you go and sell all your stuff, you'll have what? Treasure in heaven. Follow the flow of thought. For where your heart is, I'm not where your treasure is, there your heart will be. The back door. Selling and giving away all your stuff, rich man, would have been a reflection of your heart. I would have known that you treasure me more than you treasure your wealth. But since you went away sorrowful, that shows me where your heart really is. It ain't about good works. It's about the heart. Next verse. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Next verse. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. It's as if that whole teaching was for the rich man. That's his problem. Jesus says you can't serve God and money at the same time because you can't serve two lords. Only one can be Lord. So if you serve in money and you're loving that, that's going to be your Lord. So you do whatever it tells you to do, even if it tells you to scam a bunch of people that got less money than you, Brett Favre. Or you can take that money and you can submit it under my lordship. So now if I say give it away, you got to give it away. 
Now, based on Jesus' teaching in Matthew 6, which master do you think belongs to the rich man? Who's his master? The money. And it shows where his heart was. Let's go back to Mark 10. He says, give away all you have. You have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. All Jesus did for this rich man was told him what he'd been telling everybody. Repent and believe. Repent of your idolatry, putting other gods before me. Let that repentance be demonstrated by when I ask you to do something, you do it. But he don't say that. Then he says, come follow me. That means to believe. Because remember, in the, in the new covenant Israelite mindset, following somebody is not just a, no, faith is not just saying a prayer that you pray and then it has no real meaning in your life. Belief is an ongoing following of Jesus. John 8.31, Jesus says, those who continue in my word are my true disciples. Right? So, so he says, follow me. He's really saying, believe in me. Come be my disciple. This is not a works-based salvation. It's repent and believe. So the question I have for all of us today is, who's our master? Is it wealth or is it the kingdom? Is it God or is it money? Now, the good thing about passages like this, because they're so extreme, we'd be like, man, I know I ain't that dude. Like, come on, man. I know I ain't. There's no way I'm going to stand before Jesus and he offer me eternal life and I choose the money. Well, since Jesus went through the back door, I'm going to try to go through the back door real quick. And I want us to have an honest moment of intercession, of introspectiveness, to try to figure out what's going on in here. Jesus had a powerful statement in the Gospels one time. He says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That means that whatever fills this is going to come out of this. What is the conversation in your home? What takes up grown-up talk time? Because whatever it is, that's what your heart is on. When you and your friends or you and yourself, Ashley, you like to talk to yourself. I remember you told me that me and Ashley got that in common. We both like to talk to ourselves. So you by yourself and you're talking and you game planning and you strategizing for life. What do those conversations revolve around? Is it money? When you and your spouse come together for a family meeting, for a business meeting, for a grown-up talk, what is the topic of conversation most of the time? Is it how we can gain more wealth for the future? Is it how we can get the bank accounts to grow? Is it how we can get money in this account to be transferred into this account so that this account got this much account so we can pass down this account to that account? Is it how can I get a better job to get me more income? Is it how can I get a new car as if the Chrysler ain't good enough? Is it how can I get out of the house that I can actually afford to get a bigger house so I can go post about it? Is it, is it how can I work more hours to get more money, to get more stuff, to get more things, to be more happy, just to realize that those things don't make you happy, to go find another vice to try to make me happy? Like, what's the topic in our house? What are we talking about? Or when we come together for business meeting, is it, how can, we, how can we advance the kingdom better? What can we sacrifice this month? Who can we help this month? What can we give away this month? How can we reach our neighbors who about to go to hell this week? What, what person in my neighborhood at my job or relative have I not told about Christ, but I know they're lost? How can I pass down spiritual legacy to my children, just not a financial legacy? See how we're duped by the culture? And then we go straight to the Proverbs. The wise man stores a stores away money for his children's children. Yes, that's true. But you can't just take one verse 
and ignore the fact that the whole New Testament never talks about it. But you know what the New Testament does talk about? Kingdom. Where moth and rust can't destroy. Things that really matter. Hear me, this is not an anti-wealth sermon. This is not an anti-wealth sermon, okay? I'm not against money, and we're going to go through some scriptures to try to walk through that too, Lord willing, we have time. But I'm trying to get us to see that whatever we're talking about all the time, it shows us where our, our, our Lord is and who's really taking preeminence in our life. So we sit at the table, and all we're talking about is money. And, and then if, where the money going to come from? It's just all worldly stuff. Yeah, when it comes to heavenly things, where our treasure's supposed to be, you know, we think about that Sunday morning when, when we get here or when we come to Bible study or something. It's not important in our personal life. That's because deep down we just like this rich man. We love wealth and we compare ourselves to what we see online and we covet and we want what our neighbors have. I can go on and on and on about this. Let's look at what happens. Verse 23. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Jesus uses the rich man as an as a example. He makes an example out of him because the disciples watched the conversation. They were there. <clears throat> and as that man went along, sad, holding on to his wealth, the disciples like, Jesus like, it's hard. For a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The reason it's hard is because when you have money, you have comfort, earthly comfort. A lot of times you don't have inner peace, <laughs> but you have an earthly comfort. You got everything you need. You ain't got to want for nothing. So it's almost a, a, I have my heaven now. So there's not this longing for it later. And you hear this if you just listen to interviews with certain celebrities and, 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 and things like that. It's like, I got my heaven now. So it's hard to really even think about God because I feel like I have everything I need until crisis hits. Things happen that you, your money can't buy your way out of. So Jesus says it's hard for rich men to be saved. You ever notice how most celebrities, and I understand that God always have a remnant. God will always keep a remnant of his people in any sector of life, whether it's politics, entertainment, sports. God will always have some group of people there who know him. Okay, that's the pattern we see in scripture. But the majority of people we see who are wealthy are lost. Just think about that. Just think about your favorite actor, actress, rapper, singer, musician, whatever they do, athlete. And then to start looking up their beliefs. <laughs> Very rarely will you find a rich man have orthodox theology in the God of the Bible. Jesus said it's hard. It's hard, it's hard, it's hard. The disciples asked him, well then, <laughs> it's kind of, kind of a funny question. Well, who can be saved then? If Jesus, if it's that hard, then who can be saved? Jesus says, with man it's impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. I love this verse because it puts salvation as, as primarily God's responsibility. Puts it back on his back. That he's sovereign. That if God doesn't intervene, all of us are going to be like the rich man. It ain't just pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and try to muster up enough faith. It is a sovereign act of God to fix the problem of spiritual deadness. Just as a physical body can't rise itself from the dead, a spiritually dead person cannot raise themselves up. God has to intervene from outside and open up eyes so that they can see their sin and see who Christ is. So he tells us, don't, he say, don't worry about it. All things are possible with God. You just do your responsibility, which is to repent and believe. I'll do the rest. 
Verse 28, Peter again, (laughs) no surprise there. He began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. Remember when Jesus called Peter, they were in the fishing boat with their father. Said they dropped their fishing rods and then they left their dad. Peter's going back to that moment. He's like, hold on now. Don't try to play us like the rich young ruler. Since we've left everything and followed you, here's Jesus' promise. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now. Somebody say now. In this time, Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus just made a very strong promise that anybody who sacrifices for the kingdom, not holds on to their thing and and make those things lower, but those who make sacrifices for the kingdom. He says, not you know, you don't just have eternal life to look forward to. He says there's an earthly reward. Says you'll receive a hundredfold houses, brothers, sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands. He's assuming that those are some things that may have to be sacrificed for the kingdom. Now, when we read that, we're like, why do I have to? Jesus, are you saying I got to leave my relatives in order to be a disciple of Jesus? Is that what he means? No. Here's what he's saying. If Jesus is Lord, whenever Jesus is in conflict with family or property, or wealth, the disciple has to choose Jesus. When a Christian does that, God says there will be a reward, and he will begin to give you back what you gave up. Now, here's the wrong way to preach this. is to say, oh, it says you give up houses, you'll get those a hundredfold. That means that the mansion that I want, and not what he means, y'all. That's how Creflo and them will try to take that. That's not what, what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is prophesying what happened to the disciples in the book of Acts. It says that after the spirit came, it was like them against the world. Everybody was persecuting them. And it says that they would go from house to house, breaking bread, meaning that in the early church, since they were so horribly persecuted, they didn't have time to be doing all this debating on minor stuff. They were one with each other. So they was like, your house is my house because we all got a common enemy. So their houses multiplied in their persecution because nobody was claiming any property for themselves anymore. That's what he's talking about, sacrificing houses and getting it 100-fold. There's a spiritual application to this. Same thing with brothers and sisters and mothers and children, people who have had to, to, to walk away from uh, certain situations in your family where family is trying to pull on you in one direction, but Jesus is pulling on you in another direction, and you got to make a choice. And now your family look at you kind of crazy, and you feel isolated and, and during holidays and things like that. Jesus says, oh, it's going to be payday for you in this life and in the life to come, because now what I'm going to do, now you're going to have spiritual brothers and sisters in the kingdom. I'm closer to some of y'all in this room more than I'm closer to a lot of family. Like, I got my mama, my brother, my sister. We tight, right? Man, the rest of my family, like, we got good relationships. It's cool. But there's some people in here, I talk to y'all more. I open up to you about what's going on in my life more than I would them because God kept this promise. He's going to keep that promise for you, too. There's some people in this room who've lived by this. And you know who you are. There's people in this room that gave up spots, places in their house to let people come and live with them. For one reason, the kingdom. People who have given away things to others who are in need. For one reason, the kingdom is going to be payday. Don't grow weary in doing good. God will pay us back for our sacrifice. We're not going to flip it prosperity way, but there will be payday in this life. God will bless you. And sometimes, yes, it will be material. And in the age to come, eternal life. My last point, 
He says, but many who are first will be last and the last first. What that means is there's a lot of people first in this life financially and got everything they need, while a lot of godly people are last. Jesus says there's going to be a great reversal in the kingdom where a lot of people (laughs) who ain't have it all like that down here is going to be balling in the kingdom is what he means to say by this verse. And it's supposed to be an encouragement to us that if we never get the business that we wanted to get off the ground, we're self-employed. If we never get the 500K in the bank account, if we never get the financial independence and we never got a chance to pay off all them school loans and by the time we finally paid them off, we like 50. <laughs> I knew that one to hit. <laughs> Sally Mae. He's like, it's okay, because in the kingdom, long as you made sacrifices down here, you're going to be first up there. So don't waste your time focusing everything down here. Something more to look forward to. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the truth that is in your word. We know, Father, that You're not anti-wealth. The reason we know that, because you said in your word, 1 Timothy chapter 6, that God supplies us richly with all things to enjoy. That means you you do want us to enjoy the monetary, financial, physical, natural, earthly blessings that you give us down here. There's nothing wrong with that. But you want us to take those things and submit them to your lordship so that if it ever interferes with you, We know we got some sacrifices to make. Thank you, Lord, for being patient with us in our idolatry. Thank you, Lord, for being with us in our hard-headedness. Jesus, I ask that by your grace and by your power, you would enable us to repent of any idolatry that's in our life, be it financial or something else that we could recognize what it is, where it's coming from, and what we need to do to get rid of it and to put it in check. Lord, we don't want to be like the rich man who went away sorrowful when you asked us to give things up. We want to make sacrifices that matter. We want you to be pleased with our life. Speak to us in this room throughout the day, throughout the next hour. Convict us in our sin so that we'll know for sure where we're falling short. We'll be mindful, Lord, to give your name all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.